I'm here with uh, Dr. Carrie Gress. Uh, you were a guest on Life on the Rock last night. I just wanted to talk to you more about uh, the Marian Option and some of the themes we didn't hit upon. Uh, let's first talk about your book, The Marian Option. What's the basic thesis of that? <laughs> well, um, as people might gather, it, it was inspired partially by, the, by Rod Dreyer's book called The Benedict Option, which uh, Dreyer's a journalist and had suggested that people the, the, the culture's bad and things are getting worse and the people need to leave cities and move to smaller, very purposeful communities. Um, at least that's one. His book ended up not saying exactly that. He kind of toned it down um, in the book. But in any event, that was at, at one point what he was suggesting. And so I was looking at the Benedict Option, just kind of interested, like what is it that he's mm -hmm. arguing? And um, So the more that I looked at his argument, I thought everything that he's suggesting that we're struggling with, whether it's evangelization, the culture, Islam, you know, secularism, all of these things, Our Lady has done better. No mm. offense to <laughs> Benedict. We all love Benedict, but Benedict was a response to a very specific time in history. Um, he created the monastic system, which, of course, preserved so much of Western civilization, but he didn't deal with Islam. He did, you know, there was only so much that Benedict could do because he was just tasked with one thing. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at you know, evangelization, where's the biggest number of people evangelized came to the church at once. Well, Our Lady of Guadalupe, four of mm -hmm. ten million people converted through her. Um, look at Islam. Spain's a perfect example. I think we think we, we forget that Islam had reigned over Spain for almost 800 years, and it was through Our Lady that that was really where Islam was pushed back out of that Catholic country. And um, So anyway, it was just seemed to me like he raised all these issues and all of them seem to be a better response. The other thing that is fascinating to me is just even looking at, like Benedict, you've got these periods in, of crisis within a culture, and the, the God always sends some a saints to respond to that appropriately. So you've got Benedict in the fall of Rome, you've got uh, Francis who's preaching poverty when the church is drowning in riches, you've got um, the Jesuits come along during um, the, the Protestant Reformation. So. It seemed like too, the other reason why the marrying option just seemed like the right way to go was, of course, because it's, I think women are the ones that are under attack, um, much more so than anything else in this century in the West. And, um, and part of that is an intentional rubbing out of this icon of Our Lady in our culture, I think. Um, but so in light of that, it seems like God is sending the woman to help restore women. Um, this is the proper response for the, the cultural crisis that we're in in a specific way. Yeah, and, it, and just like in the secular realm, there's a great powerful women's movement, and Our Lady, we're in this age of Marian apparitions and things, right. she's rising up uh, to help guide women, it seems yeah. a very fitting way. Yeah, without, without a doubt, she's definitely, and you know, that's what she's always been. In fact, it's kind of a great irony that the women's movement talks a lot about the dignity of women. Well, that dignity came precisely through the person of Our Lady. It was obviously, you know, Christ kind of changed the ethos with, with the calling of women and the, the, the way that he treated women, but it was really as a, a devotion developed to Our Lady that that became more, much more widespread in the mm -hmm. church. Um, so it's ironic that they're both reject her out of hand, but at the same time they're living with the fruits of who she is. Right. I mean, if you look at Islam, there's no equality of women in that. You look at the other religions, there's not equality of women in these other religions the way that there is in Christianity. So it's this, yeah. you know, there's all these kinds of tensions within the feminist movement that they don't realize 
it's because of Our Lady that they have any sense of our equal dignity to men in the first place. Yeah, it's, it's like one of those cases where they have the facts completely Dirt. upside down. <laughs> yeah. I was talking. No, there's lots of those cases, <laughs> I think, when it comes to feminism, unfortunately. Yeah, I was talking to these missionaries in South America, and they talked about working with these certain groups of indigenous peoples and the abuse of women and children in these communities before Christianity mm. is like yeah. horrific, yeah. you know. And even like slavery, I mean, it, it was driven out of the European continent like in the 1500s or something. I mean, it was right. still exists in the New World, but right. it was Christianity. Right. Not to yeah. mention the human sacrifice. Yeah. Um, Aztec culture, all right. of those things. I mean, it's, we, we really don't recognize how much Christianity has done to mm -hmm. undergird these values that we kind of just think are natural, but they are not. Yeah. You know, I was just in Panama World Youth Day, and I... I was reading up about the Our Lady of Antigua, mm -hmm. and I misquoted it. I didn't realize it was 800 years of occupation by the Muslims in Spain. But in, um, I guess they came to the Iberian Peninsula in the 700s, and then 1200s, the Saint Fernando the King was taking back the city of Seville, and he was praying, and he, he was a saint, and he, uh, he was led into the city to this mosque, and the mosque, had unknown to him, had been the Cathedral of Seville. Wow. Because this was in the 1200s, right. and quite centuries a yeah, later, centuries right. later, and he went into the this mosque, and this wall became like a window, transparent. He saw behind the wall was this image of Our Lady, and the Christians had built this facade, fake wall, to cover the image. Yeah, so they they tore down the wall, venerated the image, and it was uh, Our Lady, the purification, the presentation in the temple, and so she's there holding a rose without thorns and the Christ child and Jesus holding like two turtle doves for the offering, the presentation in the temple. And, and the, they had a Latin phrase that uh, like Maria, Mary comes to the temple. And so but it became this big devotion to inspire them and in her intercession to liberate the country. Yeah. And then, Beautiful. yeah, then the explorers in the New World, Christopher Columbus had it on his standard bearer mm -hmm. when he came to the country. And he went there to that cathedral in, in Seville in 1488 and prayed before the image, venerated the image. And many of the sailors, because it's so dangerous, they took up a devotion to the image. Um, and they called it Our Lady of Antigua because it was the ancient wall of the oh, cathedral. Right. Oh, so. That's so interesting. Yeah. Well, and there's a, a similar story of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Spain, not the one in mm -hmm. Mexico, um, where a farmer was out in his field, and, and you probably know the story, but um, heard that he there was a, a woman appeared to him, you know, the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen, and, and said, go tell a priest I have my images buried here. And sure mm -hmm. enough, people, as they were leaving Seville, had the presence of mind to bury this image, and it was presumably one of the images um, St. Luke painted. Mm -hmm. um, and of course that became a, a, another one of those sites of Columbus and his sailors uh, <coughs> went there as well. And um, then, of course, everything happened in the 1500s with, um, with Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico. Mm -hmm. But people didn't forget the one in, in Spain, and actually the Battle of Lepanto, the, the lantern from um, the main ship of the um, the Turkish Navy mm -hmm. 
was taken and offered to Our Lady of Guadalupe in Spain. Oh, so wow. there's all this interplay between Our Lady and yeah. of Guadalupe in Spain, and then of course we know what happened in the Americas yeah. after that. So it's it's fascinating all these connections. Yeah, and if she seems and she's the patroness of the new evangelization mm -hmm. and Our Lady Guadalupe and. So, I, I know you make the point in some of your writing about how she inspires. I mean, she's interceding for us, but she's also has an inspirational quality. Yeah. yeah. Certain, yeah. Well, I mean, you can see this with someone like Saint Dominic um, and and the devotion of the Rosary and mm -hmm. um, I mean, all the great Marian saints um, mm -hmm. that they do kind of miraculous things. Um, you know, things that you know just people don't wouldn't have thought of on their mm -hmm, own. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, the kind of the heart of the Marian option is just to recognize that she knows the vocation that God has given us better than we do. And so mm -hmm. she's leading us to live that out. And so instead of it being a cookie cutter, all Christians must do X, um, when we have a devotion to her, she then leads us to the, a very specific devotion, you know, unique to each of us mm -hmm. that's going to be fruitful, you know, both in our lives but in the lives of others as well. So it's um, it becomes very individualized kind yeah. of seeking out of a vocation instead of um, a cookie cutter. Right. And you know, something that got my attention the last few years too is um, EWTN is not the only house on the block anymore for media. I mean, there's all this huge uh, podcast, social media, and mm -hmm. and everybody can do videos and productions, and it's it's great. But there's also um, you know, differing voices out there too, and I've noticed, like, like in the younger generation, like with women, and um, you know, I, I think about like John Paul II, this great Marian Pope, great, wrote a lot on women, talked about uh, women being, you know, having a role in all areas of society to bring their influence, their gifts there, mm -hmm. and it's like you look at the scriptures, you see Mary so silent, so hidden. Mm -hmm. um, how do we let that inform like women today that mm -hmm. in the Catholic Church, you know, want to be out there starting stuff, leading stuff. Right. Sometimes I think the emphasis is almost, I do feel like oftentimes, I think the word leadership to me is like thrown around so much. Mm -hmm. And I hear Jesus talking about discipleship, being a servant. Right. And then we got this language, everybody needs to be a leader, everybody right. needs to start something. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I was just listening to something about St. Benedict this week, and it, it really struck me that what did Benedict do? He said very, very little. I mean, you had all these monks that were in silence, that were, were saving civilization, had no idea what they were doing, mm -hmm. but it was absolutely in silence. And um, so, yeah, I would absolutely agree with you. I think that there is a question of um, that we can have too many people thinking that they need to be t talking and out there. And, and I, I think we even see it too with this sense of how frenetic the news is and how we have to stay on top of everything. And that, mm -hmm. you know, I read 10 to 15 news sites every day, so it's not like I'm suggesting that we don't be informed, mm -hmm. but when it's something that is disturbing our peace, when we're, we feel like we have to constantly be responding to social media and um, you know, all the, the turmoil that's, that's in the church, then we're not really coming from a place of creativity. We're coming from we're kind of operating more out of anxiety and fear Reaction. Sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really where the silence is, needs to be put into place because you can't, 
if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit in your life, then it's, it's very hard to know what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Yeah. And you can't, it, it's hard to be creative in that. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I think that there definitely has to be a, a time and a, a lot of room for, for silence in our lives because otherwise we're, we're most likely not doing God's will. And yeah. that's obviously the primary thing for all women is we have, you know, the, the saints were fruitful because they followed God's will, not because they followed their own will. And mm -hmm. we see what happens when women follow their own will, and it's not good. Um, but it's, you know, when we're grounded in that love of God the Father, and we're trying to do His will, then things just, boom, explode in ways that there's fruit everywhere. And, yeah. you know, we can see this certainly in the lives of the saints. Um, that's where the, the hundredfold fruit comes from. Right. Um, in that. So, yes, there's, I think that you're right, there's a lot of frenetic doing and not enough listening. Yeah, because I've got a friend, he, he he lives a life of a hermit now, basically, and he's a devout Catholic, and I'd always be telling him, oh, we just had this guest on, he said this or that, that. And it's like, it really didn't relate to him as much, because I, I thought about it later, it's like, we're always interviewing a lot of type A people who are out there writing, right. doing right. everything, yeah. but most of people's vocations is not, not to that. do that. Right. But we kind of present that model. If you're not doing this, then you're not holy. Yeah, and yeah. you know, even looking at, um, you know, a lot of the women that are out there are very choleric types of personality. Mm -hmm. That they're they're big personalities, and so. But then there's some of us, myself included, are much more introverted. That much pr more prefer to be home reading a book rather yeah. than out speaking to people. And so, um, you know, there's that that issue of like, what's what are you natural? What's your natural temperament versus what is God calling you to do? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's there's always that tension, but for the most part, I think that you're right. There is yeah. a lot more um, hermitness that could be adopted by people. I think. Right. I was just talking to Jason Everett, um, and he was telling me he lives in Phoenix. Bishop Olmsted has written about the vocation of men, you know, the, into the breach and. Mm -hmm. And I think they started with, like, we're going to do something for women. And mm -hmm. so he met with these women after some kind of retreat, and they said, well, basically, how can we help you? What can we do or whatever? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we're doing okay. You know, we're coming to church. We're doing, we need the men to come. <laughs> so what you could do for us is oh, to bring the men in. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think we're not having much discussion. And I think men today, you know, I mean, I was interviewed a young woman who's doing great work and all this kind of stuff. We're talking about feminine genius and all this. And I said, I told her, I probably shouldn't have, but I said, sometimes I feel like women want all the gifts. You know, if we're going to say women have yeah. certain gifts, yeah. what's the, what do the men have? They have to yeah. bring something to this, right? right. And, and oh, men are, right. are so, we're struggling so Indeed. much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you all have my sympathies for sure it's a hard thing to negotiate and fatherless homes you know they're not getting formed right by right. you know not being launched into their yeah. manhood and all of that yeah no it's really challenging for men yeah so what do you think is a missing piece not having the men involved i mean i i see it as a, a well, leadership and you know i think one of the things that's interesting is just what you said. I think women need to understand where their gifts are and kind of stay in their lane instead of feeling like they got to fill up the whole highway because yeah. um, there are certain things, you know, we, we see this in crises. When a crisis happens, crisis happens, who's out there in the boats? Who's out in trucks? Who's it, you know, it's mm -hmm. the men that are out there helping and rescuing and mm -hmm. using their 
their gifts. Mm -hmm. Now, we, it, it's just fascinating that that happens so naturally in that kind of environment. Mm -hmm. um, but we can't obviously, I mean, thanks be to God, we don't live in that environment constantly. But um, to, for women to recognize that there are certain places where really, their gifts are needed and they should be used and to not railroad men. I think this is the other piece that, that unfortunately has really seeped into our way of thinking unwittingly um, because it's just in the air that we breathe um, culturally. It's just the sense that we have to be saying something all the time or we mm -hmm. have to be ambitious or we have to be you know, the right ones in the room or we have to be that center of attention or mm -hmm. whatever it is. It's some of it um, can be driven by vice and uh, others are just, again, what the culture is telling us. Um, but I think that there's a lot to be said for women doing more listening and um, even just you know focusing on those those virtues that we have of being able to contain people you know containing our children and helping improve them um, instead of it just being we have to be out in the world all the time. Mm -hmm. There's just the importance of of being home and um, yeah. what that means in terms of raising children and, and changing the fact. And, and this is part of it is the this denigrated idea of society. That somehow you're a second-class citizen if you're a mother and you're staying home with your kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part and parcel of the problem. Because I can tell you very much that there's nothing harder than staying home and raising mm -hmm. your kids because of all the challenges and that you know your vices are in your face because you see your weaknesses. But that's those challenges, and you know, we, I hear this among religious women too. One nun I know says, um, you know, the convent is like the tumbler where you're constantly encountering the, the, your own vices um, when, you're, when you're up against other women that you have to deal with all the time. Um, so it's these kinds of challenges that, that where, does the, where do wise women come from? It comes from this kind of um, groundwork or you know, tilling of the soil that happens in, in that environment. Mm -hmm. So it's a very natural and important part of maturing women, and I, I think this is one of the reasons why um, it's very hard to find wise women who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s now. Um, it's a lot different than when I was a child where you felt like you could, you know, there were certain things you could expect from grandma. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think people have those expectations anymore. If they do, they're disappointed um, in them. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said. And uh, part of the reason why this doesn't happen is people are afraid to talk about meekness. They're afraid to talk about this idea of submission. Um, they're afraid to talk about these more humble kinds of virtues because A, they don't understand exactly what they mean and B, they assume that it means that a woman is a doormat. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really the struggle is like how do we help women understand that these are actually incredibly powerful virtues that they don't imply in remotely any kind of slavery but actually imply that this woman is in charge of her own emotions and in charge of her how she responds to things. She's not emoting all over the place but she responds the way that she wants to because she's in control of um, her soul and her mind. Yeah. I know that's been my observation around here with a lot of, uh, you know, devout Catholics have some bigger families and I see like a flourishing of the woman in her personality, the mother, mm -hmm. and they're no, was it wilting lily? Is that how you say it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're like, right, they have right. this strength. Yeah. And it's almost like, you know, they, 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 you know, the, the marriage, they find this balance of roles and things, mm -hmm. and, and because they know what they're called to do, it's like, you know, they rise up and do it. And uh, so it's, um, 
something to behold, you know, the yeah. <laughs> God's plan for things. It, it really is. I think you're right. When you kind of can get that complementarity right and the uh-huh. distribution of gifts and everybody's kind of got their lanes. Yeah. Um, and it's it really becomes remarkably fruitful. And, you know, I will even say I've become a more kind of like the mama bear has come out of me much mm-hmm. more so than before I had kids. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how just different aspects of personalities kind of develop um, mm-hmm. because you have children, because you can't, you can't be a will team lily because yeah. it just doesn't, you know, no one can function that way. So, right. yeah, you're right. Yeah, we had this moment at World Youth Day in Panama recently that uh, they had adoration Saturday night. And um, it's always, it's at night, you know, and they have usually a big monstrance and they had 700 or 600,000 young people there, <laughs> you know, in prayer. It was quiet and silent. and. And they would have some silence, and they would sing like a song. And they had, they had like some priests one time. And then they had some women religious, and they had these two sisters, and they were singing this beautiful um, Spanish song, just saying like uh, "Amote" or something like Spanish. But I love you, I love you. And 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 they were singing it and they just one of them had this big smile and just singing her heart out and it just struck me as such a beautiful image mm. and i thought even the power of it just to image to other women who don't have the religious vocation mm-hmm. um that you know if anything's antithetical to the values of the world it's the woman religious you know she's sitting there veiled right, right. she's in obedience right right <laughs> everything about her is yeah and there's and and Jesus, you know, women. I think you know they give this special love. He, the holy women in the, in the scriptures, they they had a special love that they got. Jesus got from them. You know, this attentive love that. Um, and I I see it in our sisters too. Like, I mean, one of the sisters was telling us, telling me, she said, well, you know, I go to prayer and I just just try to love on the Lord. And I thought, I've never thought of my holy hour that way. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, That's what, really <laughs> right. That's I thought, what a consolation to the Lord that was, yeah. you know, right. got this dedicated uh, image of the Bride of Christ. And mm-hmm. so anyway, I, I thought it, it just struck me as kind of sad because we have less women religious, mm-hmm. and their their presence I didn't see at World Youth Day was that strong in terms of what you saw, mm-hmm. and uh, I just thought, man, we need that witness more than ever right yeah. now to help young women. Right. Well, and I think that's an incredible point because it points so clearly to the distinction between the male priesthood and then female women religious. That it's that it, women religious have this very bridal kind, you know, uh, affectionate kind of relationship, you know, song of songs kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, th- there's nothing like the male priesthood, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right because if we could kind of see that those stark distinctions it's easier to understand too just the, the difference in vocation that women have as compared to men yeah and i like even yeah the call the reservation of priesthood to men you know i i hear orthodox catholics and i understand i mean you know wondering why this is so like young women you know questioning this not in a rebellious way right. but it, it is a deep question but i i think and i think we've lost that sense of women imaging the church as bride mm-hmm. as you write you know the marian dimension is mm-hmm. more fundamental precedes the petrine dimension right. 
Yep. It's like, you guys have the bigger share there. <laughs> right. And this is what the anti-Mary has done to our culture. Yeah. It's made us think we have a pittance, that we don't have anything, that we right. have nothing. We, we, yeah. we can't be anything unless we're like men. Right. That's what they tell us. And mm -hmm. we cannot have children because that gets in the way of our ultimate happiness. This is, this is what these two lies are, that the yeah. whole um, you know, structure of the culture is built on right now. And so that's the, the sad thing is to just that we can't in our minds rethink that to look at how much abundance I have here. Look at how much I've been given in, in all this role as wife and mother and the, you know, the beauty of that. Mm -hmm. um, instead we sort of think, well, she's just a stay, stay at home mom, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. she's not important kind of thing. Um, but it's just, it's really is entirely the opposite. Like this is where the future is and starts mm -hmm. is, in that woman's work. I saw in your book, uh, one of your books, you, car you quoted Cardinal Mazzenti, mm -hmm. and uh, he wrote a book on motherhood, and I've, mm -hmm. I've used his some of his quotes. Mm -hmm. And he had a simple quote that he said, something like, you know, the older a person gets, or an older man gets, he marvels at this bond, you know, between, I think, like the mother and child. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that is so true. I, I look back on it, it's like, I noticed when my grandmothers died, it was like, there was like a hole left in the family. Yeah. You didn't have, right. I mean, they were just like completely about their relationship with you <laughs> and everything. Right. I mean, how many people yeah. in your life are like that, right. you know? Exactly, and that are just dialed into you yeah, as yeah. you and they just love you and yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and that's what I mean, is we, we have less and less of that, I think. Um, yeah. Fewer women that understand that role and why that's important and how it, it is just the fabric of the family that can leave a legacy and leave something beautiful, but also at the same time help make everybody holy um, right. too. It's, it's that kind of very personalized love and attention that, that women can offer um, in just a unique way. So yeah, it's, it's a sad thing. Have you seen anything to help? I think of like young women, like how to communicate that message to them. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think would be an effective way I mean, I guess there's preaching or good mm -hmm. movies or something, but right. do you, or good literature or something. Have you found anything that you, you know, say like that's what I'm trying to say or something? But. Um, well, I wrote my own book about it because I couldn't really find anything <laughs> that, that summarized it well. So uh, you know, I've, this this anti Mary book, um, it's it's kind of like Dante's Inferno it, or the comedy rather. Mm -hmm. It's there. Um, there's a, the dark side and then there's the light side. So the whole yeah. first half is really explaining. What, what's going on in the culture. And then the whole second half is the flip side to that of why our lady is this model and how mm -hmm. it is that her the desires of the human heart are met with her as a model and all of that and you know, the importance of beauty and goodness and um, those things that are so fundamental to women. Um, but you know, I, it's, uh, I like that question because it's gonna make, I, I don't feel like I have a good definite answer. I'm gonna have to think about that for a while. Um, but I, I, you know, there's, I, I think the nice thing is, is it seems like we're kind of at a crossroads. I think people are kind of getting tired of what's happening in the culture and are questioning it a lot, especially because things have gotten so extreme. You know, we're looking at the abortion debate, you know, it's basically infanticide. Um, and, it, you know, men are getting tired of being beaten up on. Um, so I, I think that's even just, like, fashion has, is changing slightly. The fact that I was at, I recently went shopping and was able to buy beautiful dresses that were modest, um, that I just felt like we're kind of a throwback. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't ever want to suggest that we go back to the 1950s because we wouldn't have had the 1960s if we'd had the 1950s. I think mm -hmm. the wars were really 
um, uh, problematic and, and huge impact on where we are now. But, um, but if we could get back to a place where beauty doesn't have to be immodest and women don't have to feel like they're objects when they get dressed in the morning and that they're trying to appeal to some sort of objective standard versus yeah. something healthy and, and, and compelling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there's little hints of things like that happening, I think, in the culture um, that we can pick out. But it's, you know, it's also fun to go back and look at old movies at the way women dressed and engaged in conversation yeah. with men and, um, you know, those kinds of things. But, I, yeah, I don't feel like I have a good... Go read that book because you'll get it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, maybe we need to work on that. But um. I was at a school one time, a Catholic school, and they had all these pictures. It was like a like junior high, eighth grade grad. You know, went through eighth grade, I think. And I and they had a picture of all the classes. And I went back to the year I was. I didn't go to the school, but they had mm -hmm. a picture of the class of that year I would have been in. And and then I looked at it was like they had these girls and I was like blown away by how the girls dressed in 1984. Right. I mean I was like, right. it was like shocking. I mean, yeah. they, I mean I don't think you could sit down and what they were wearing. Right. You know? Right. And I'm like I was thinking, when did this? Yeah. How did Palm this happen? And how do you? Yeah. And how do you feel comfortable walking around like this? Yeah. You know that's what right. I. And I, I actually I I should say though you know one thing that people can do is read. The Lives of the Saints, which is always yeah. so amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, St. Catherine of San Siena, Hildegard of Bingham, and you know, yeah. all of these yeah. just kind of amazing women, Joan of Arc. I mean, their vocations are so diametrically different. It's just, yeah. it, it's one of those marvels that God can do is, you know, make women holy but so uniquely different. Um, yeah. So that, you know, that that's a place to, to start. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know the first thing is really just making people aware of what's going on, and I think we we're just so used to it. You know, even the the pro life march. How come that gets zero zero coverage every yeah. year? And we've just kind of gotten used to it, like oh, this is the way it is. Well, mm -hmm. it shouldn't be that way. I mean, the vice president spoke there. Or the president left a mess. Like these are not yeah. small things, and yet they right. just sweep it under the carpet, and we just kind of accept it as normal. Yeah. And yet we shouldn't um, right. accept that right. as being the case anymore. So it's. We definitely have our work cut out for us, but um, but you're right. Trying to form people into just even seeing these subtleties of how we're being manipulated. Um, yeah. is, I think it, we've got to start there. Yeah, yeah. And I I was thinking too. You know, this, this church writes about virginity and like a women religious. You know, right there, there's this. It's like a teaching in the vocation that the church champions that women aren't just reduced to their biology or just the fact they can be physical mothers mm -hmm. but it holds them up as a great gift in themselves that this is a calling you know right. not to get married but to belong to Christ right. and and all your gifts are used here you know mm -hmm. and spiritual maternity mm -hmm. and that you know what a powerful teaching that is I think for the culture and yeah um, no you're you're yeah. absolutely right and it just I think helps clarify things a lot in terms of what spiritual motherhood is, yeah. you know, that all women are really called to it too. So, well, just I just close with this one question about, um, you know, practically speaking, in your devotion to Our Lady, um, what what helps you? Like praying the Rosary, consecrations, or certain scripture meditation? Um, well, I did Marian consecration first when I was a, I was probably in my twenty early twenties, and that was really what set me on a new course. I mean, I had I had a devotion already to Our Lady, and but I was so poorly catechized that you know it just couldn't stick mm -hmm. um, but
But I did find the consecration. I'm, I used to pray the rosary with these women that were all my, my mom's age at, at my high school and so when I was in college. And that really, they were the ones that introduced me to it. And so I think that changed my life. But um, yeah, I mean, the rosary is one of those things that's just totally indispensable at this point in my life. I just, it, it's so natural. And mm-hmm. you know, our family says rosary every, every night before the children go to bed. And um, I just rely upon it tremendously for so much. Um, so that's... Um, certainly one thing I wrote a book on children's consecration or marrying mm-hmm. consecration for children um, largely because I couldn't find one that I wanted for my kids ages and um, um, so that was a, a great blessing too that I think we'll, mm-hmm. e- we'll do it annually as a family and we'll keep I think grow with the children um, as well because uh, there's discussion questions and things like that that we do we, we answer and talk about in the, in the book but um, when we're reading the book but I think the, the other thing that I've kind of gotten to the point now that, uh, you know, it was a struggle for me to really relate to Our Lady for a long time. And it was challenging because I just thought, oh, okay, I'll just keep praying this rosary and one of these days I'll get it. And it wasn't until I started understanding what it means to be meek and what it means to be submissive and what it means um, to, you know, self-gift, all of these deeper questions that um, it became much easier for me to relate to her. And um, so I, I think now... I've gone to the stage where I just, you know, all these de- great devotions, but there's this kind of daily, moment by moment, you know, relying on her as a mother and relying on her guidance and trusting in her her intercession and where she's leading me. Um, that uh, is kind of newer, I would say, maybe even the last ten years or so, where I'm just much more radically focused on her presence in my life. Um, yeah. And I don't think that that's something that is just some sort of special grace to me. I think it's something that everybody can be mindful of because she wants to be the mother to everyone, all of us. Um, and she's she already is a mother to all of us, so it's just a matter of us recognizing that relationship and kind of pressing into that and getting to know her and letting her reveal herself to us. Um, so that's kind of the fun part, I guess, too, mm-hmm. is, um, you know, God is always so amazing and surprising, and because of that grace that she reflects, his grace that she reflects, she is too. Um, so anyway, it's it's fun to see how she works in our lives very, very uniquely. Yeah, I know like a few years ago it hit me, you know, John 19, Jesus gives Mary from the cross, mm-hmm. um, you know, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Mm-hmm. And then he says two more things, and then he dies on the cross. Right. <laughs> and I... I love, I love, I listen to Protestant podcasts. I've been to, I've got some Protestant friends go to their churches, respect their faith, real holiness. But I think, what are you guys doing with this passage? You know, right. that How Jesus. Do you deal with this, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, take her into his home. It's not, it's a poor translation. You know, Benedict, Pope Benedict pointed out, it's like into his inner reality, inner being. You oh, know, it's a very deep metaphysical mm-hmm. meaning to it. Oh. And, and he's not just taking care of her. He would have done that you know, before, but it's just, mm-hmm. as he's meriting for us the grace of redemption, he gives her to, you know, to be our mother in the mm-hmm. order of grace. And mm-hmm. I thought, that is so, I mean, that is so huge. Yeah. <laughs> you want to worry all these nutty Catholics right. get our statues, rosary, consecrations. Right. Right. <laughs> John 19, you know? There it is, you know? exactly. And, uh, yeah, right. All right, well, last question. <laughs> the submission part, how do you understand that in your life today? Um, I submission is hard because so many relationships are so different and dynamics are different. I mean, sometimes you have a phlegmatic husband with a choleric wife. Sometimes you have vice versa. I mean, there's all these different ways that people interact with each other. 
I've gotten to the point where I, I, I think more about what submission is not. Um, and you can see this in sort of damaged relationships or relationships where um, there's problems because the woman is far too controlling of either her husband um, or her children or that the whole dynamic um, where she's she's not you know she belittles him in front of other people or um, she cuts him down or she's sarcastic all these kinds of things that can be very um, just uncomfortable I think generally so that that's kind of the one thing that I've I've gotten to think about is how do we how do we honor our husbands how do we help mm -hmm. them be the men that they're made to be and it's not through cutting them down it's not through any of those means it's through allowing them to speak when it's they're the ones to speak and mm -hmm. and you know even recognizing that if you know my husband and I have a difference of opinion about things and my husband is, is a firm believer in mutual submission he's a good Benedictine that way mm -hmm. um, but at the same time I actually love it when he says no I don't want to do that because that's an opportunity for me to say Great. Let's not do mm -hmm. that. Like I would, I'd like to have him say something very definitively because mm -hmm. it doesn't happen very often. When he does, then it's it's like I'm free of this. Mm -hmm. This is his choice and decision as the, the head of our family, and I'm I'm it's that's great. Let's go in that direction. Um, so I think it is. It does become. It's a combination of um, you know there is this mutual submission, of course, in terms of me making suggestions or bringing things to mm -hmm. the table, but I, I feel like ultimately when push comes to shove, if we're on the fence about something, then we go mm -hmm. with what he wants mm -hmm. to do and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and it's not one of those like, you know, things go poorly. I'm like, I told you so, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not submission either. That's not, that's just not even being respectful to somebody. Yeah. And I think even these basic ways, we've gotten so used to that, you know, the white yeah. guy on the com every commercial who's an idiot, um, that we've kind of taken on that sensibility. Like mm -hmm. you can be, a jerk to this your husband because everybody else is a jerk to their, you yeah, know yeah. and that's obviously not what God intended for marriage and that's yeah. obviously not going to create a flourishing couple in any sense of the, the word when you have this kind of tug of war going on of wills and um, you know no one's got the last word so um, that's kind of an easier way to, for me to think about it what submission yeah. isn't uh, I think right I've heard yeah like women here they're married uh, talk about that, that they would just, we well, hear that Protestant podcast, say, hey, you know, I just want the husband to step up to lead right. or make decisions. And, right. and I even think of like the scriptures, you know, the angel appeared to Joseph in a mm -hmm. dream. You mm -hmm. got the Immaculate Conception, the mother of God there. Right, right. And he's directing the family exactly. through Joseph yeah. and to go into Egypt or to come back mm -hmm. or whatever. But well, and I think some of the, the problems we're having with men not stepping up is because they're they're used to their wives doing it or overruling yeah. them. I mean, yeah. it's one thing to say, I want my husband to do it. It's another thing to to love him in such a way that he feels enabled and to do yeah. it, that it's he's not going to be put down for it. Or, or and, and, you know, of course, there's so many problems, too, with just the way men or are, are boys are raised, where they don't understand that, that capacity because they didn't have a good role model to show them yeah. that you have to be the provider and the protector and all, you know, yeah. all these kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, it's a... We're, we're in a challenging times, that's for sure, when everybody's sort of confused about what they need to do. So it's, yeah, it's hard it, to know. And it seems like the women, like their role is so, seem like so much is hardwired into them. And the men very much have to learn that, be mentored, show that. Yeah. And, yeah. and when you have the fatherless homes, it's like who's, right. who's do doing that, it? You know? yep. well, thank you so much thank for you. talking it's with us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's fun chatting about all this with you. Mm -hmm.